We are doing a five-part series from the book of Mark going up to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, last week, we looked at a woman's devoted love for Christ. And now, in stark contrast to that, we come in the narrative of Mark to a, a most pitiful story when we pick up in Mark. I'm going to read to you from Mark, and then I'm going to read Matthew 27 and Acts 1, just to set the scene. Let me give you a little background. In John 12, or rather John 11, after the resurrection of uh, Lazarus, the religious leaders set out to kill Jesus. His miracles were creating too much success, too much fame, and they determined then we must, we must get rid of this man. He's undoing us. It's not good. He's undoing us. So, in the midst of that, they're looking for an opportunity. They needed an insider that could tell them where Jesus was at all moments. And, of course, Judas knew where he hung out at night. He didn't get a motel at night. He slept in gardens. He slept outside. He had none of these earthly conveniences. So, with that tension going on, all of a sudden, we find in Mark 14, after the woman, listen to uh, verse 10. Then Judas, who was complaining about her gift, because he was a thief, according to John 12, not because he loved the poor, who was one of the 12, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Matthew 26 says the price they settled on was 30 pieces of silver, which is very interesting. In Exodus 21, 30 pieces of silver was the compensation price you paid for a gored slave. If a slave was gored and not killed, uh, the owner had to pay 30 pieces of silver in compensation. So, Here's God the Son cannot draw any bigger pay than what you'd pay for a wounded slave. He didn't draw very much on the market. Then you see verse 43. And immediately, while he was still speaking, this is in the garden, Judas came, one of the twelve from the chief priest and the scribes and elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out? as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me. Day after day, I was with you in the temple, teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the Scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. From here, he's turned over to the Jewish authorities and then before the Gentile authorities. Six trials. That three trials with the Jews then he goes before Pilate, Herod, back to Pilate. 
Now, something you need to look at the other Gospels to see what happened to Peter after he made the deal. And they took it. And he falls in hands with the authorities. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew. Matthew 27. And we'll see the remorse that came over him after he had done this horrendous deed. Listen to what it says in verse 3. Matthew 27, 3. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he's in the hands of Pilate now, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priest taking the pieces of silver said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. This is really found in Zechariah 11. But the beginning of the Jewish scroll began with Jeremiah. But the passage actually is going back to Zechariah 11, where the shepherd is sold for 30 pieces of silver. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price on him, on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel. And they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed. Turn one other passage, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. We'll pick up verse 15. Acts 1, 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons, was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Agadama, that is, field of blood. Judas, the man who got what he wanted, but lost what he had. Let's consider some things about him. He was not from Galilee. He's only one of the 12 that was from a different region of Palestine. He uh, was a man that was chosen as a disciple and an apostle in Matthew 10. It states it clearly, a disciple and an apostle. Uh, he, as we see in John 12, was so trusted 
The acumen he had for business, obviously, made him trusted to be the treasurer of the common purse that the disciples and Jesus lived out of. The women who followed Jesus gave the money so that if Jesus needed incidentals, food, he didn't always perform a miracle. These women, out of their devotion, kept giving him money, underwriting him. There's him and the 12 at all times, buying them food to eat. He didn't just turn not around and do a miracle every time they were hungry. So they had money in a common purse. Judas was perceived as the man with economic acumen, and he oversaw that. We see in John 12, he was a man beset with a covetous spirit so that he was characterized as a uh, continuous thief. He constantly was taking money out of the bag all the time he oversaw it. So it wasn't just an incidental thing. He did it quite frequently. He betrays the Lord, and in all the Gospels, when they mention Judas Iscariot, the, there's always a little a hyphen or comma, who betrayed Jesus. This is his legacy. Few of you have named any of your children Judas. It came to represent a man that would sell out for a price. He returns the money to the rulers. He hangs himself. Acts said that he actually gushed out his bowels, which some scholars believe that he may have hung himself on an extended limb over a ravine, and either the rope broke or the limb broke. By the time he falls to the ground, it's such a fall that his insides gush out on him. And he not only dies from suffocation, he dies a horrendous death on a cliffside. It was prophesied that one among them would betray him and that uh, a follower of Christ would deny him. Uh, I want us to just look at quickly, who is Judas? What did he become? And what is the lesson for us? Who is this man? Well, first of all, it's amazing that there was a time in his life when the devil wasn't in charge. There's a distinct moment at the Last Supper when Satan entered him, but all of his conniving up to that time was only the conniving of a sinful heart. And so he's a disciple. Uh, he went out. He cast out demons. He healed the sick. So much, he was so authentic among the 12 that in the upper room, they're asking, who could it be? Who could it be that's going to betray you? Jesus said, the one that dips bread with me into the wine. And the picture is John is here. They're laying on their left shoulder here like that. Jesus is here. Motion, uh, Peter motions across the table. John, find out who it is. And so he's right here whispering distance. Jesus, who is it? Who? None of them know. It could have been any of the 12. Nobody knew. Up to this time, he's completely covered. He's trusted. He's hung out with them. Is it possible to hang out with the physical, 
on earth Jesus for three and a half years and never come to know him. Must not have taken any evangelism courses. Must not have known how. No, none of that. These three and a half years, miracle after miracle, the multitudes fed, Lazarus raised from the dead, walking on the water. How many miracles would it take for you to believe? Those who saw the most stupendous miracles of all time in a concentrated period of time, only 120 showed up in an upper room. Miracles don't save. And if you're not in the place to tell God he's got to do some acrobatic miracle or something to get your faith, no, it won't work. Even the magicians of Pharaoh could turn a piece of wood into a serpent. Try that. Have you tried that lately? Try it. Turn a rod into a serpent. And according to 2 Thessalonians 2, Antichrist will perform so many remarkable miracles that the world wonders after him because if you just do a religious miracle, I'll follow you. What about truth? What about truth? What about who is this man? So he's actually in the band. Christ called him. Now, here's another thing. Did Jesus know how to pick men? Well, Scripture had to be fulfilled. We know that. But sometimes in church, I wonder if the ratio in church is one out of 12 of you is a devil. Would that be scary? You went through membership class. We asked you all the question, how did you get in? You don't like that question, do you? It seems like an insult. How do we know that you're really a Christian? Maybe the way you act it's more than hanging out. He's never said to be born again. Never. Why would he even hang out? Well, keep going. He heals the sick, casts out the demons in Matthew 10. Uh, he's in the constant company of Christ for three and a half years. Uh, he's never suspected as not being uh, one of them, a true follower of the Messiah. He was never called a child of God. He's always said that he was a masterpiece of Satan. What did he become? Six things I see the man become. Number one, he became a disappointed man. And by that, I think, what was the attraction to Jesus? Jesus came in Matthew 3 and 4. Proclaiming the kingdom of God is drawn nigh to you. The kingdom of God is among you. The king is in your midst. Now, what would this feel like to a peasant boy, to a fisherman on the shores of Galilee, occupied by the Roman armies? The Gentiles have got their boot on their neck, and a man comes along saying, God's kingdom, God's king is in your midst. He bought into it. He wanted a messianic king. What surprised him is that the king would be rejected, would suffer, and that before the kingdom would be set up, there must be uh, the cross. And he's thinking, I didn't sign up for a crucified Christ. 
I signed up for a Christ that's going to be king. Kick the Gentiles out. Get on the throne of David and tell them that we are the apple of God's eye. You made a promise to Israel in David. We will have a king. I want a king. I want a king. I don't want a crucified criminal. And so all of a sudden, he's dealing with disappointment. Every place I go with this man, someone's wanting to kill him. The religious leaders are rejecting him. Am I wrong? Have I made a mistake? I followed because I thought this was a king. I cannot tell you how many people I've met that are disappointed with Jesus. They quit church because they said he's not everything we thought he'd be. We thought we took Jesus, we'd have a perfect marriage. We thought when we took Jesus, our kids would turn out to be uh, just nearly perfect. We thought if we followed Jesus, we'd get this, we'd get that, we'd get this, we'd get that. He, he's not everything I thought he's cracked up to be. I'm, gonna, I'm changing my mind about him. Matter of fact, I'm, I've hung out with people who say they know him, and I don't like everything I see. And so they take this being disappointed in Jesus, the figure what they estimated. If I take him, I'll have fewer trials. You know what? You may get more trials. You may have mother, father, sister, brother desert you because of him. The unbelievers in your life may want to have nothing to do with you. An unbelieving mate, I don't want to live with a Christian woman or Christian man. They may leave. And he said they would, 1 Corinthians 7. Let them leave. It, it becomes costly to really follow Jesus. Two, he became, and it's obvious, a covetous man. He was always on the money angle of things. And covetousness is the one sin that we all deal with that nobody knows we've got. Paul said, I went through all nine commandments, and I kept them all. I came to the tenth commandment, thou shalt not covet. And he said, it slew me. To covet is, uh, I want your wife. I want your money. I want your house. I want your goods. I may even want your life. You'd be better off dead to me than alive. And so you go mix with people, and if that audience is permeated with covetousness, nothing you've got is safe. Nothing you've got. Because the covetous eyes, the eyes of man are never satisfied, and the antithetical uh, American way of living is never to be contented. Never to be contented. Always go after another unsatisfied desire. An unsatisfied desire. Just can't get no satisfaction. Just can't. That's what I find out. The world and sex and lust. We've got more sex going than ever and less contentment about it. C.S. Lewis said, if I came and visited the planet and got off of a, a spacecraft 
and I went visited a college dorm, if all they had on the walls were pictures of food, I would assume there's a famine. And when I get around a men's locker room and there's nothing but naked women, there's a famine. Sure got quiet. That's why pornography is booming. People never found the real thing. They didn't know you could be content with one woman for life. But God puts contentment in his gifts. He didn't leave you thirsty. You drink the water he gives, it quenches your thirst. You eat the bread that's from above, it quenches your hunger. God's good gifts gives you contentment. Contentment. The covetousness ends. I found what I've been looking for. Thirdly, he became an opportunist. When he found out a way he could make a profit, he was willing to make a deal any way he could. Just uh, let's make a deal. You know, they, they say every man has his price. Every person has their price. I was told a story years ago of my brother who told about the guy that we wanted to take his yacht, and he wanted to get a mistress to make the trip with him to Hawaii. And so uh, he asked this lady, he said, hey, why don't you be my mistress, be with me on my yacht, we'll go to Hawaii. And they offered her a sum of money. She said, who do you think I am? I can't believe you. How, how dare you insult me? And so he, he left a little bit, came back a little bit later, said, hey, wh why don't you be my mistress? I'm, I'm going to go out on my yacht. And he upped the ante, add a little bit more money. And she said, who do you think I am? So he came back one more time, and he really upped the ante. He said, uh, why don't you be my mistress, and why don't you come for this price? He said, okay. Then he said, well, let's go for the first price then. He lowered what he offered. He said, I'll have you go for the lower price. He said, well, what do you think I am? He said, I already found out. We're negotiating price. I already know what you are. I know you'll sell out. And every one of you got a price. You got a price. One time he asked me to do something for him. I was arrested. I didn't have a biblical conviction about it. I backed off, and I went to him because it was an honor what he asked me to do, but I, I just didn't feel sure about it. And, I said, I can't. My, my conscience is uneasy. Would you please understand? And he gave a line to me. I've never forgot. He said, don't worry. The first compromise is always the hardest. And never let it be said your brother asked you to make it. The first compromise. Everybody's got their price. Satan may offer you $250. But don't you worry. He'll come back. He'll offer you more. He'll test you. He'll finally offer you the kingdoms of this world if you'll bow down. He keeps up in the ante. So if you became an opportunist at the right price at the right time, then he became a tool of Satan. At that time that he decided to sell Christ, then Satan entered and energized him from then on for Satan is the art betrayer of God. He started in the beginning deceiving Satan himself 
and Satan deceived one-third of the angels. They are in the lying, murdering, betraying business. And then Satan shows up in Eden, and what does he do? He has another betrayal scheme. To eat the tree, eat the fruit of it, and you shall become gods. Ignore the death warning. It won't happen. It won't happen. And so he's the energized satanic force. Let me say something. I wish this room was packed with young people, especially in light of this. Let me say something about seasons of life. Uh, you know, you'll get older folks always warning young people. And, and if I was a young person, you're a killjoy. You don't want me to have any fun. You don't want me to have any fun. Because youth and the beginning of life is full of choices. You get, a, you get to pick maybe your vocation for life, uh, your friends. Uh, you may pick uh, a, a wife or in our day, pick a girlfriend you dare live with. Uh, it's all these choices. And everybody's making a big bid on you. We want you. You need our product. You need this relationship. You need this fix. And it's the time, choices, choices, choices. Move the clock up here. Let's say, let's put you at 55 or 60. And over here, we're talking consequences, consequences, consequences. Whatever you choose back here, consequences are coming. I can't hear you. Yeah, it's like you've not lived with any consequences. All I wanted was fun back here. Now I'm over here. I'm paying alimony. I'm paying child support. I got children out of wedlock. I got pain upon pain upon pain, and back here all it was was choice and fun. Choices. You can choose to step off a bridge, but you can't choose the consequences. And here, sin comes after us like a Judas. Sell him out. Make a deal. You want this? And Satan will keep you blind to what the consequences will be. That's why gray hair, age, got a different way to interpret your choices. You're going to get in trouble. This is going to cost you more than you're willing to pay. And you're saying, oh, you're just too old to do it. You're too, you don't know what happened. I, I was young once. Uh, he became a regretful man. He went out and wept that night, and it said it was night. And uh, something I'm going to say about being a regretful man, that you can be full of regret and not repent. Second Corinthians 7 says, Godly sorrow produces repentance. The sorrow of the world produces death. There'll be a lot of bars open to 2 to 3 in the morning tonight, and a lot of people in there will be drinking over regrets. Drinking over regrets. They're going to be sorrowful. And you don't have to be in a bar. 
You'd be at home full of regrets. Regrets do not mean I want to be right with God. It's just I'm living with consequences of my choices. Sin is a heartbreaker. I mean, uh, you know, after you've done your sin and then you put on the record, the thrill is gone. Say, boy, it looks so good starting out. These chains and things are binding me. Yeah, the thrill will be gone when the consequences come in. And finally, the man who was regretful, who never found repentance, became a man of despair so much that he took the money back. He threw the money at their feet. 30 pieces of silver go all over. And he goes out hangs himself, spills out his bowels. Oh, what a pitiful, pitiful, pitiful ending of a man that hung out with God for three and a half years. Can you imagine if you could hang out with Jesus for three and a half years? Surely you would believe him. Uh, the lesson, uh, the lesson for us, I heard a preacher when I was in Florida several years ago I heard him do this message, and he called it, you got what you wanted, but you lost what you had. And uh, it really impacted me. I played it for my grandson, my different ones. It was a powerful message. And I think it's the message of Judas. It's the message that's all over the Bible. Let's track it down. Let's start with Adam and Eve. Adam, Eve. You've got paradise. You've got a perfect woman, a perfect man, a perfect environment, a perfect relationship with God. Surely you wouldn't trade any of it in, would you? We started out perfect. The only time we ever started out perfect. And then he waves this temptation. What you really need is this fruit I'm offering. And it's not the fruit. It's the new level of knowledge and experience that will make you godlike. You will know the difference of good and evil. You get to experience it for yourself, and you won't have to go through God to know what's right or wrong. You, become, you decide what's right and wrong. And God said, for you to do that will bring death and expulsion. And then... The devil says, you can't believe what this guy says. You see, up to that time, there had only been the voice of God to Adam and Eve. Now you've got a third, another voice. You've got Adam and Eve, God. And now when we're born in the human race, the first voice that you listen to from conception on is the voice of the devil. And in time, you hope you hear the voice of God saying, come to me. I want to free you from the chains that bind you. You, have you heard the voice of the shepherd? We've all grown up on the voice of the devil, the betrayer. You don't want Christ. You don't want to live for God. Don't go to Christ. You can do better without him. So Adam and Eve, they made a deal. I want what I want. I want it now. But you lost what you had. You lost paradise. You lost Abel. You lost a perfect wife. 
You lost a perfect husband. Men and women have been fighting ever since the Garden of Eden, and you can't find a good enough woman or a good enough man not to have a spat now and then because the whole race is in conflict. The whole race. You can get what you want. You can get that other woman. Go after her. But you're going to leave those kids crying. You're going to leave that brokenhearted woman. And you're going to take on a lot of pain you can't heal. I remember Walter Anderson. I was out when I was first getting acquainted as he told me his heartbreaking story from a life of sin to fall in the arms of Jesus. As he broke down weeping in the restaurant, he said, the woman I left as the mother of my children was the best woman I ever had. I didn't have enough sense to appreciate her. I was too bound by sin. I was driven, driven to be a womanizer. And I, I left her. Then he starts crying. He says, she was the best friend I ever had. I got what I wanted. I got a a notch on my belt for all these different one-night stands, but I never did capture a woman like this woman. Why did you make the trade? You got what you wanted, but you lost what you had. Then you come along, and you get an Esau comes along, and here he's out hunting one day and gets hungry, comes back, his brother Jacob has fixed a bowl of bean soup, lentil soup. And he says, hey, I'll make a bargain with you. What's the bargain? If I'll give you a bowl of soup if you'll give me the birthright, the right of the firstborn, protogenitor. I get a double inheritance. And here old Esau says, who cares? Right now I'm hungry. I'll do anything for a quick fix. I need immediate gratification for good inheritance. Isn't it amazing what you can do when you have immediate gratification on your mind? I want it now. I ain't waiting. Is it so no longer do you ever, you'll never do hear this. You are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Now, he traded a place in history for a bowl of soup. How stupid can you be? He didn't value the birthright and the place. He could have been a, a relative of the Messiah, but he just voted himself out over a bowl of soup. You got what you wanted, but you lost what you had. You come along with Samson, the heathen with she trouble. I mean, lied to date. He, he uh, went out there, and he kept dating all those Philistine women. They were wearing that midnight perfume, and that boy was falling, falling, falling. He couldn't be true. Couldn't be true. And he kept sleeping around, and here he'd had a, Nazarite vow. He was the only one that could rescue Israel from their enemies. And finally, Delilah gets his head in her lap. She keeps working on him, seducing him. Tell me the secret of your power. Tell me the secret of your power. 
And by the time he gives it up, he loses his eyes, he loses his power, and he loses his life. He made a trade. You see, sin will look so good, but it pays lousy wages. It pays in death. It pays in death. I think of God, David, and Bathsheba. Here's a man that has at least 10 wives in his harem as the king. And, and believe me, as a king, uh, that, that bill could be filled quickly. But he had a harem of wives. Abigail's there. Other women are in that uh, harem of wives. Uh, why, David, do you need one more woman? Why? Why would you go after a Gentile man by, by the name of Uriah that had to work harder than any Israelite man to be put in the category of David's mighty men? He's a mighty warrior. He says, Joab, bring him back home, and maybe after I've slept with Bathsheba and she sends word that she's pregnant, We've got to get Uriah home. We've got to get him to sleep with his wife so that the pregnancy he will think is his. They bring him home. Listen to what Uriah says. I can't sleep with my wife while the armies of Israel are sleeping on hillsides trying to protect the king. I'm too loyal to the king to go and make love to my wife. If they're in the field, I'm in the field. And every night he sleeps at the gate next to the king's quarters. I am not doing it. I am not doing it. I will be faithful to my king. And David, you killed him. Why? For one night. One night. You got her. But you're going to bury Absalom, the baby, Ahijah, one other son. And Nathan comes and said, David, the sword will never depart from your house because of one night of unwarranted sex with a woman that was not your wife. And you read 2 Samuel. The book goes this way. He comes out of obscurity for Samuel 16. He keeps ascending. He keeps ascending. He keeps ascending. He's whipping everybody. He's whipping everybody. Chapter 11, adultery. Chapter 12, the warning of the prophet. And then decline, 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 decline. Who do you think you're fooling with, David? This God isn't blind to your sin. And this God is not the God of the pagans. This is a God holy, just, and will deal with you. You're not running the heavens, David. I brought you from taking care of sheep. I put you on a throne, and I can bring you down. You got what you wanted, but was it worth it? Was it worth it? And you know what? You're here today, and you're in the balances. You got to make a choice. Jesus put this question out. What will a man take in exchange for his soul? If you put on the scales, you and eternity 
What sin would you be willing to do to get what you want? What sin? Um, I have a quote here that one of the men gave me that I said years ago. I've said some good stuff, but it's all in the past. And, and, and the quote was, if you're not content with what you have, how do you know you'll be content with what you're trying to get? You'll take this. You've been discontented with every job, every woman, every situation in your life. Your problem is your name is discontent. You need to find the source of contentment. And it's not another woman, not another job, not more money, not more relationships. It's Jesus Christ. Only he can fill the void of your heart. He's the only one. Augustine said it so well. Thou hast made us for thyself, and we remain restless until we rest in you. Young people, don't believe the lie of the enemy that wants to damn you, destroy you, and pay you the wages. He'll get you right up to the edge of eternity and say, you idiot, why did you follow me? I could, I could talk you out of heaven by offering all these tinsel pleasures that will all pass away. There will be none of these pleasures in hell. Christ and every one of us every day are making trade-offs, the bargaining. I'll give you this. If you'll do this, you'll have to give up this. And it's this whole bartering. Who's making the bid on your life right now? Have you ever received Jesus Christ? Have you ever quit being the property of the devil? Why let the devil, you'll wind up like a Judas, as it were, in despair, even a suicidal despair that led to such a disgraceful exit. And he had all the opportunity in the world. You can get what you want but you might lose what you have. Our Father, I pray that if there be anyone here today that keeps being talked out of eternal life, talked out of being God's servant, God's child, that you by your Spirit would open their eyes and bring them to the offer of all offers. I lay down my life that I may purchase you and make you my own. Come, come to me. Quit being fooled by fool's gold. Come to me. Come to me. Have you been in church a long time, but you're not saved? You've been in church, but you know, you know that you don't know him. You've, you've been around the church for years. I've had men that used to go to our small group Bible studies, went to all kinds of studies, still died without Christ. They're as faithful a church as any of you are, but they died without Christ. They just never wanted Christ. Have you taken Christ as your Savior? What's keeping you from saying, Lord Jesus, I'm tired of being deceived. I'm tired of being betrayed by the devil. I want a Savior. I want Jesus Christ as my Savior.
Are you here? If there's anyone there that you raise your hand, we'll take time for you after this service. Are you here and you don't know Christ, but you want to receive him today? If you'll let us know that, some of our pastors will be willing to help any way we can with you. We'll give you literature, a Bible, if anything we can do to help you cross that line into the kingdom of God. Our Father, let us make the right choices. Deliver us from being deceived and betraying the only wise God, our Savior. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.